0: To you from the KUCI headquarters in Sunny Irvine, California. It's half past five with Paxton Wright. Tonight's guest, writer and producer Brett Fair, featuring music by Prep. Now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Paxton Wright. Listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I am Paxton Wright. I hope you folks are all doing oh so well today. I hope you're all uh, avoiding that there coronavirus, keeping that out of your system. And uh, I want you to know that I'm risking it all for you guys. I'm here at this station, working diligently in this small enclosed space with surfaces that have been touched by, by many people. Today alone, uh, I'm I'm not even wearing a face mask. I, I am truly putting my life on the line for you guys. So if things go poorly for me, if I contract this virus and I'm no longer with you in the next few weeks, I hope and expect to be remembered as a hero. Because, well, that's how I would view me. I am so excited for this week's show. I know I say something to that effect every week, but this time I mean it. Just kidding. I've always... I've, I've felt that way about every show, but this is a very good one. Uh, I was fortunate enough to sit down last week with uh, Brett Baer, who has been mentioned on this show before. If that name sounds familiar. It's because I have interviewed both his uh, his wife, Kathy, who is uh, a longtime alum of the Links Theater as well as their son, Buster, who is an exceptionally talented funk and jazz musician and just all-around very impressive artist. And we, we, we're now sort of uh, coming full circle to Brett, the, uh, the patriarch, as it were, of the family. Brett has had a long career uh, writing for television, and a very impressive one. He's executive produced and written for shows like New Girl, uh, 30 Rock... Uh, Norm, just shoot me, Pinky in the Brain, and and plenty of others. So this was a uh, very exciting get for the show, and Brett and I ended up getting so into the weeds, and I say that in a good way, uh, regarding not only just the the span of his career and the timeline of it, but as well as his approach to writing. ...and his perceptions on how writing for television, particularly comedy, has changed in the last 20-30 years since he's been doing it... Uh, ...as well as just a whole mess of other things. So we, we got so into the thick of it that we ended up talking for nearly an hour... ...and I could not bring myself to chop that down to 20 minutes. So, very excited to announce that this will be a two-parter interview... Part one airing this week, part two airing uh, Take a Wild guess next week at the same time. Today, we'll be focused more on the timeline of Brett's career, talking about his getting his start in Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain, all the way up to New Girl, as well as a pretty frank and, I think, reasonable conversation regarding the sort of um, cultural shift in comedy while still being progressive and sort of the pros and cons that come with that and I thought it was a I thought it was a pretty enriching conversation and you will hear of course much more assuming you tune in next week which I implore you to I think this show is a very good one and I think this is a particularly good and interesting episode you'd not only be doing me a favor by racking up that listener count you'd be doing yourself a favor regardless of whether or not you're a writer uh, or a creative type at all Maybe your hobbies are putting cement blocks into wooden holes and you're not a creative type whatsoever. I still think there's a lot of interesting information to gleam from this interview, and I highly encourage you to stick with me both this week and next. After next week, feel free to fall off. The show's all downhill from here, I assure you. But uh, uh, join me for the peak, will you? Take my hand. Let's have fun together. Let's experience this together and then we'll let the coronavirus wipe us all from existence we're all finished so why not go out with a bang and listen to both part one this week and part two next week of my interview with writer and producer brett bear remember by the way if you want to share any of your coronavirus survival tips with me or you want some of my own. I've been, I've been writing up a laundry list. You can email me at paxtonwright at KUCI.org. That's P-A-X-T-O-N-W-R-I-G-H-T at KUCI.org. And you can also check out the podcast of this show at Apple Podcasts uh, at KUCI colon half past five. Simple title. I remind you guys every week, and I and I hope you're taking it to heart. I hope this reminder is uh is not going in one ear and out the other. Anywho, enjoy the show, folks. It's a goodie. So yeah, so normally I do like an intro and a monologue, like I said. That I'll record after the fact, because there's no reason to make you sit here through that. Uh you're, you're kind. No, yes. <laughs> you know, I I I that's what everyone tells me. Um but But yeah, so we're just going to go straight into the interview. We can start now if you like. I do have this recording. Uh, Anytime you're ready. Great. One other thing I did forget to mention uh, that I tell all my guests. So this is not the... Interview. this is not the interview we can be we can leave this in it's Who? up
1: to you man it's your interview we'll it's your s- podcast we'll see what substance
0: comes exactly out of this right because
1: right. if we get nothing this is going to be the gold
0: this is going to be hell okay. i already can't say that on the radio so. yeah
1: what happened man I, I you told me
0: to watch my p's and q's,
1: and then you get into this uh, uh he double hacky stick stuff oh,
0: god. you know here here and I, and I just said god
1: this is this two is. mistakes right off the bat we haven't even officially started the interview what are we going to do here
0: Hi folks, future Paxton here. Just wanted to pop in real quick to say that I've looked over the FCC rules and regulations. Turns out there is nothing wrong with saying hell or God on the radio. Just a matter of the context you use it in. And in this case, believe it's okay. So looks like it's score one for Paxton and zilch for the bigwig fat cats at the FCC. <laughs> Better luck next time, guys. Catch me if you can. Nanu nanu. Let's get back to the interview. This is this, right. this is a bad look. I want to make a formal <laughs> apology to the FCC and station manager uh, uh, Kevin Stockdale right. right now.
1: Kevin Stockdale. The Kevin. Kevin, Stockdale. Uh, let him go. He's trying his hardest.
0: You heard it here first. Kevin. I'll
1: give you a kickoff. Ready? Like ha- Paxton, my God, this is exciting to see you at the top of your game. Huge podcast. I love your studio. Beautiful place you got
0: here. Isn't it? Isn't it? it, it largest it looks, record collection in California.
1: It's spectacular. Wouldn't you know
0: it? Yeah. The magic of radio. You're looking for, for Simon and Garfunkel, we got it. You're you looking for it. Bauhaus, we got Bauhaus. it. You're looking for the Jerky Boys. I'm sure they're here somewhere. Absolutely. They're all here. Bobby Vinton. That's your that's your bag. <laughs> Engelbert Humperdink? Humperdink. All here. All right. Now, uh, Brett, let, let, let's get right into it. I'm going to throw you a softball question here because it's going to get the ball rolling. It's going to get uh, you know, chips off our shoulders. Uh, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing pretty good. I, I've had a fantastic morning. <laughs> I got up. I walked uh, to the uh, kitchen, and then I took my dog out to the backyard, and then I took him in to get a bath. And now I'm here sitting here with you for the podcast.
0: I mean, who? you might as well just go to bed after this. Really, uh, I the... probably will, by the way. So, <laughs> <Okay. you> know, <laughs> I'll
1: get very drunk at about uh, 2 o'clock, and then uh, I will just pass out in my bed.
0: I'm, I'm envious of your lifestyle, yeah. Brett. Uh, well, yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, well, rather, as we've established in the, in the lore of this episode, me having you in the studio. Clearly, yes. uh, you now have completed the uh, bear trifecta. That's right. Of appearances on this show, I've had your wife Kathy on this show, your son uh, Buster. Yep. Now, now here you are.
1: There's yeah, and there's two two more for you to go. We have my daughter Callie and my son Tom. So, it's true.
0: It's true. You know. And I'll, I'll be in, I'll be in touch with them next. Absolutely. So we uh, you know I I will not rest until this show is uh, is rife with bears. Yeah.
1: I mean you have to sell it as a box set basically. Yeah. Yeah. And this, do you sell the show or do you just broadcast?
0: Oh, it's going to be a thirty-six disc collection. Oh, excellent! Uh, you or order off of a uh, television. It'll be great. Um, there's going to be a one disc of just Kenny G tracks because that's obligatory for those kinds of sets. I think absolutely. So yeah, but that's that's neither here nor there. Uh, Brett, for those who are uh, unfamiliar with your name uh, you're probably best known for your work on shows like New Girl and 30 Rock that's uh, right yes as, uh, as writers executive producers yeah uh, but your career obviously you know the you didn't just start on one of NBC's biggest hit shows. You, you, there's, <laughs> no, far from it. There's a there's a <laughs> there's a term called humble beginnings, and uh, y- your career dates back much further. Uh, and in writing for television, specifically, you and your writing partner uh, David Finkel started primarily in animation. Am I yeah, correct?
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: yeah. And so, how did, how did that come about?
1: You know, my uh, writing partner uh, Dave, uh, who I will refer to constantly as Finkel. We, uh, we worked together in sketch comedy. We started, uh, we, uh, you know, it was one of the things where I joined this group that he was a part of. And uh, he was really funny. And I was like, uh, okay, I got two choices. I can compete with him or I can join forces. And I had a sketch that I'd written that was, um, do you remember the Menendez brothers?
0: Uh, they're the the brothers that murdered. They murdered their, their parents. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So who who can forget the Menendez brothers? <laughs>
0: already off to a very <laughs> well, inspired start.
1: I had written a sketch that was a takeoff of the uh, Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour, but with the Menendez <laughs> brothers, it was the Menendez brothers Comedy Hour, and it was like you know you know mom always liked you best, who shot mom, that kind of thing. So <laughs> right. Anyway, uh, my version of the sketch was a little dark which uh is an issue and dave and i were working i i cast dave in the sketch but we needed to rewrite it together and we started working on it together just doing the patter routine of like the smothers brothers back and forth kind of stuff and something about our dynamic with one another just clicked and it and that sketch did really well we did it for a long time and we discovered some kind of like uh chemistry in our writing together that we started to do more and more work together and the stuff we were doing was killing. And so uh we were, we did, we did a sketch that do you, here's another thing. Nobody in your audience will remember. There was a, a, a monkey act that uh, used to be on the Carson show all the time called uh Bobby Barracini and his amazing orangutans. Right. And they would do Vegas and stuff. And an article came out that Bobby allegedly had been, beating his monkeys. Oh. Now, I say allegedly, I don't know. I'm just saying this article had been written about that. So, David and I decided to do a sketch that was kind of a takeoff of Bobby Barasini and his amazing orangutans, where I played Bobby Barasini, and he played all the orangutans. <laughs> and it was a big physical comedy sketch where, at the end, the monkey sought revenge against, you know, the the trainer. It started chasing around the theater where we were running through the audience, climbing over people in the you know, in the chairs and throwing each other through the walls and literally just big, wacky, kind of like Martin and Lewis-style physical comedy. We did that sketch, and that was one of our biggest successes together. And uh, there was a person in the audience named Peter Hastings who was a writer on Animaniacs and uh, had created basically the template for Pinky and the Brain, which was soon to separate from Animaniacs and become its own TV show. So... The first thing he said is he said, I think you guys could write animation. You guys want to come in and pitch to us. And so we said, "Dave and I were like, yeah, sure. So we went in, and I'll never forget this. We went to the Warner Brothers office where Peter had his office on the day that O.J. Simpson was acquitted. And uh, and we sold our first pitch to Peter for a uh, short Animaniacs episode. And uh, that was the first paid gig I'd ever have as a writer. And Dave and I have been working non-stop ever since. I've been married to my wife, Kathy, for almost 30 years now. And I met Dave about three or four weeks after I got married. So I've been together working with Dave uh, for 30 years now, professionally for 25, really. And uh well, maybe even longer than that. Wow. Yeah, ninety-five. Whatever. So, what does that make it?
0: Twenty-five. Bro. Yeah. Don't. No. I, I can't I do math. C's straight through high school. Yeah. No,
1: this is. Uh, this is not. I, uh, <laughs> I don't think either of I us are the guys to handle too.
0: this. I'll let the listeners uh, vent about it to themselves.
1: Yeah. Email me when you figure it out, would you? These
0: idiots. Um. So. So yeah, there was. I mean, yeah, it was Animaniacs, uh, Pinky and the Brain. Yeah. Another one that's uh very very uh special to me. Was a uh, Duckman. Duckman. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, we wrote a Duckman. Um, I will say that the episode we wrote, which was, it was a takeoff of a baseball book called As and Rack about the Chicago White Sox owner Bill Vac, uh, called Vacas and Duck, where Duckman takes over a baseball team and kind of starts crazy. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember the gags, but it was like. He, he, crazy promotions like, um, Tiger Night, where there's a live tiger on the field with the players, so they slide into second base and they're attacked by a tiger, but I would say that episode was largely rewritten, I want to say, by the staff. We were, we were not staff writers on that show, so sometimes you turn in a script to that show, and then the staff will take it over and go like, we're doing this completely from scratch.
0: It becomes its own thing, sure. Yes. So, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's, uh, interesting and telling that you went from, yeah, very largely physical comedy uh, straight into animation. That's a a pretty natural segue. And the fact that they saw that your ability in what you were doing in sketch...
1: Translated to it. Yeah, Dave and I were huge physical comedy fans. In fact... After the animation stuff, we followed Peter over to Disney where uh, he created and we helped develop a show called One Saturday Morning that was a big hit. There was a thing called Mrs. Munger's Class that Dave and I came up with, the original concept for that developed into a big hit for Disney until there was a lawsuit in which, um, well, that's a long story. Look it up online. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then uh, we did this other physical comedy bit on that show called The Monkey Boys, which was not like... The crazy monkeys sketch that we did with the orangutans, but it was basically two idiots who just break everything in sight because they're morons. And <laughs> can you say morons anymore? I, I, I don't know what's woke and not woke when I, it comes to stupidity. I
0: think woke is, uh, I, I, think, I think moron is, okay. uh, I think it's. That's uh, all right? Yeah, I okay. think it's pretty woke neutral. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think we're really, if we're offending the moron community. I mean, uh, they can write. Exactly. No, they can't. (laughs) That's right. Well, see, that's why we're safe. (laughs) That's the only reason you can say it. If they learn to operate phones, we're in trouble. Exactly. But for the time being, we're good. Yeah. Uh, Now, after animation, you moved on to uh, uh, live action multicam sitcoms like uh, Norm and Just Shoot Me were some really big ones. Yeah. Now, those were, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but my perception of those shows, uh, because I I used to watch a lot of Just Shoot Me, and I'm a fan of Norm MacDonald on the whole, those shows kind of represented both that landscape of like post-Seinfeld, new, you can approach uh, multicam sitcoms with a more jaded sense of humor, a more cynical take. But again, still not in, not being derivative of Seinfeld, sort of, you know. No, like... it's
1: funny because I, I remember, I feel like I've been in this television business now forever. But I remember after animation, before we got our first sitcom job, we were sitting in some crummy office we had on Robertson uh, in L.A. And I remember reading a magazine about how Seinfeld was ending. And it, it's weird to me that I started in primetime television after Seinfeld went off the air because it's still on the air all the time. And, and it seems like it was so influential to the people that I worked with and for young writer like myself at the time. That was like the gold standard. So it's kind of weird to think that that was off the air before I even really got my first primetime job. Yeah. But yeah, I think those shows were, you know, very affected by that kind of stuff. I mean, I, you know, uh, McDonald, Norm was great. And he was really great to Dave and myself. And he has the most unique true comedy voice of anybody i've ever worked with and for me you know dave and i we had a hard sense of humor like we wrote a spec script to get that job that was a a larry sanders spec script about a guest that he had the potato lady who had potatoes that looked like celebrities and uh larry had made fun of her (laughs) to the point where she went back to her hotel that night and hung herself and he had to deal with the guilt of like having caused it by you know to completely filleting this woman on national television. She killed herself, and he had to deal with that. And, you know, what the narcissist like Larry, what would it be like dealing with, you know, that kind of guilt? And so, uh, you know, we had a hard sense of humor. But when we got to the Norm show, it was a lot of the writers who had worked on Roseanne, which Norm was actually a writer on Roseanne. Right. And, and Norm uh, had just gotten off of SNL and had a very, very pure comedy voice. And uh, Frank Sebastiano, another writer in that room, from a comedy perspective... Uh, I can name the whole staff was all former showrunners. It was like a showrunner training school for us. Uh, these guys were so great and so good to us. And so, uh, they they really carried us along in our first primetime season. But Norm and, and Frank, specifically from a comedy perspective, and a woman named Cheryl Holiday, who, f- f- hilarious, I almost use the F word, because um, she would have. <laughs> 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 She's, I would have. Anyway. You, you all can fill in the blanks. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, really funny people. and they I think they taught us like what a hard joke is. and we we're just make, making light of uh, woke culture now. This is something that's been really interesting for me uh, that is very complicated and I don't even really have, I don't know I don't know what to do about it except just kind of go on this ride with culture. The kind of comedy we were doing even at the beginning of my career, we were making jokes and we were encouraged to make jokes. And what was the voice of the day? Was a harder kind of comedy that would be so unacceptable today. I mean, I've put things on television now that, in light of where we've moved as a culture, are so shocking to me that we did that, or that, or, that, or you know, those were the kinds of things that we went for. So it's really interesting to see. Uh, I, you know, when I was running New Girl, I worked with a bunch of brilliant young writers, like the funniest people you could meet who were in their 20s and looked at things differently. So we would have these conversations about comedy and what was acceptable. And I would tell them sketches like, well, what about that sketch uh, with uh, Chevy Chase and Richard Pryor on Saturday Night Live in the first season? And I would tell them the premise of the sketch, which I will not repeat here, look it up <laughs> online. And they could not believe that this was on Saturday Night Live and that the sketch was done at all. And I, w- I was trying to make the point that, you know... Comedy is a progression over time, so what they were doing on SNL in 1975 was a reaction to comedy, and, and others, obviously, starting with Lenny Bruce, George Carlin, and, and voices that were trying to crack through this kind of edifice that made up comedy back in the, like the 50s and the 60s that was sort of, you know, designed to be clean and not go there and not really dig under the surface of what was going on culturally. When the 60s revolution happened, these comedians kind of rose to the surface and then said, let's crack this baby open and let this stuff spill. And that was an important development. So now, you know, in 2020, you can look back and go like, well, geez, that's inappropriate. They shouldn't do that. But it had a social purpose at that moment in 1975, That I think contextually, should we do it today? No. There are things that we have grown past, but there was something about reacting to an earlier form of comedy that was refusing to get real that I think that those comics really did a service to not only comedy but culture by saying, well, let's talk about this stuff. It's important.
0: No, I think you're absolutely right, and I think it's uh yeah it it it's very much uh it, it set a template yeah you th- and so of course yeah I I know the bit you're talking about with Richard Pryor and Chevy Chase yeah uh, which a uh uh back back at an old restaurant I used to work at my uh my uh, manager who was very staunchly uh he and I didn't align a lot politically, <laughs> politically and, and yeah. he uh, and he certainly liked to discuss it with me <laughs> um, and I remember his insistence that that is the funniest uh like SNL has ever been or comedy has ever been was that sketch and I'm like To each their own, and it definitely, like you say, very, very important for what it was. Uh, It
1: served its purpose at that time. A person like Richard Pryor, who wanted to get that language and those ideas out on the table, said, let's go there, let's do this. And today, because they did that... We don't have to
0: exactly yes.
1: So, but but I think it's important to put that in context, right. you know.
0: And I and I am and I'm not by any means belittling the bit. because sure. that, that would go in hand with like belittling things like Blazing Saddles, which right. is sacrilege. Um,
1: yeah, exactly. But, I mean, I just watched that recently, and and similarly, again, recognizing what that comedy was doing at that time for that culture, there was an important thing that was happening there. Clearly, because it, it it meant something and it uh, it it influenced people and and the way society was looking at stuff and you can recognize that and also realize that we've moved to a place where you wouldn't do that today or that wouldn't be the choice you make today right i think
0: right and i think and i think one thing that's uh really interesting and partly what makes this conversation so touchy is that if you're too hard on one side or the other, be it that woke, woke comedy is just de- woke culture is destroying comedy, yeah. or you're or your very uh, like this is the only way we can approach comedy now. You put an entire medium into a box, and it's and it's just an obnoxious conversation to have. It's, it's a really to look at the nuance on. Yeah,
1: right? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. It, it's a very it's a tricky conversation. It's a very very strange uh, dilemma, I think for comedians and for comedy writers and you know I try to remain open and sensitive to where things are or where the people I'm working with uh, are living and you don't you know I think you just I don't know. I don't have an answer honestly mm-hmm. I'm just experiencing it and I know I'm in it and I know everybody else in the business is in it too and you you hear the conversations online but there are Twitter and stuff back and forth between certain comics and others who oppose that and others who oppose the others and it's it's
0: then you need a nap and an advil afterwards exactly (laughs) all right folks that's gonna do it for us this week but as i said at the top of the show in case you missed it remember to tune back in next week for part two of the interview which will be roughly another 20 minutes with a well of information in there a wealth of information a welsh a well a well of information. A well's worth of information. It's it's a good interview. All right. See you next week folks.